A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Katie Bauer, a data science manager at Twitter in their core technology group. To be clear, she was not on representing Twitter, only her own opinions. I asked Katie to be on after she posted a a moderately sarcastic tweet about a colleague asking her what she knows about data mesh, and then she received a lengthy internal document someone had written about data mesh. But the topic isn't about Twitter at all, either the social media platform or the company, more about how do we think about measuring the value of our data implementations, no matter the company. I think the most useful bit of advice from Katie that can feel a bit obvious when said, but it is very often and easily overlooked, measure what would make you drive actions. If a 10x higher than expected or a 90% below expected result isn't going to change your decisions, isn't going to change your actions, while it may be interesting information, is it really important? Should you be setting yourself up to measure the things that aren't important, that aren't going to drive you? If not, don't waste the time to measure it, especially early on in your data measurement maturity. The point is also to get to an objective evaluation, not overly precise measurements. Set yourself up to improve and iterate. Don't make this overly hard on yourself. She also gave the pithy statement, what is valuable is not necessarily valued. A bit more on that one later. Katie has a cake analogy that plays into data maturity well. Think about your need and the other person's capability regarding making a cake. Do you need a fancy cake like for a wedding or is this for a three-year-old's birthday party? One, you probably want to be special. One, if it vaguely resembles something and tastes decent, the consumer, the three-year-old will probably be happy. Is the other person capable of making a super fancy layered red velvet cheesecake or is a cake mix in a box probably more up their alley? How mature are the parties on creating the measurement data and how mature or advanced do you need the output to be? Katie started the conversation talking about some survivorship bias slash other biased ways of measuring. Often she has seen throughout her career that people having success seek to prove their success out via metrics instead of finding the metrics that matter the most. That has some pretty obvious flaws, so we need to move forward towards better measurement practices. For Katie, measuring the value of data science and tooling around that ends up being pretty meta. I think 
this is a really important point as well, that we want to set our success metrics ahead of time and we want to measure against what were our expectations and, and look at it that way rather than kind of do a look back metric. Katie recommends starting out with some really easy measurements around engagement and usage. If it's a platform, what are your daily active users, weekly active users, and or monthly active users? And what is the actual most useful metric there? Should people actually be leveraging your project daily? Heck, for this podcast, I have metrics about unique listeners on those same timeframes, but daily active listeners is such a useless metric. It's all dependent on when episodes are released or other factors. Think about what is your addressable market as well and and what percent of that market you have. She talked about how net promoter score is a very lagging indicator. So while it can be useful, it's kind of well after the fact. You're not really figuring out are people using it and are they happy until you kind of extract that uh, value measurement out of them. When thinking about metrics, there are two things that really stand out to Katie. First, what is your useful granularity? Don't get overly precise if you don't need to. You want an objective evaluation, and anything past that can become overkill, which has an inherent cost. And second, what is your useful time scale? Is it on a micro scale where the task should take five minutes to complete, so a difference of five minutes is a big deal? Or is it a much longer time scale? When thinking about what to measure, ask yourself, what does your company value? Is it shipping new features? Is it usage? Is it cleaning up tech debt, deprecation, et cetera? What matters? Katie threw out uh, that great phrase of what is valuable is not necessarily valued. So think about what people care about regarding your information that you're going to be getting when you're thinking about what you're going to measure. It might not be the most valuable information, but it might be highly valued or vice versa. At the end of the day, are you there to be right or to serve your constituents with what they want? It's a question I can't really answer for anybody. (laughs) Katie's getting started on measurement advice includes starting with something concrete. Use that initial measurement as a learning stepping stone. She mentioned that it can be hard to recover from measuring the wrong thing or getting your measurement wrong. People can jump to the conclusion of measuring is bad. So set yourself up via expectation setting that you will iterate on your metrics. I think this is really useful in framing how to think about getting going. It's not that this is the most that this is the most built out framework and this is exactly how you should approach measuring these 43 different things. It's kind of be kind to yourself as you're moving forward. Think about what are you really trying to get towards and what can you use as stepping stones? Don't try and jump from A to Z. Go down the, the path, right? Think about how you're going to get to Z but if you're starting at A, it's fine to just <laughs> your next step to be to B or C or D. It's totally great. So I think you'll learn a lot from this one. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. All right. uh, Super excited about this episode today. I've got Katie Bauer here, who's the uh, data science manager uh, at Twitter in their core tech organization. Want to make sure to be clear that um, we're just kind of talking in generalities today, just like most people that that come on. She's not necessarily representing Twitter, you know, so um, but I'd asked Katie to come on. She had put out a, a little bit of an incendiary tweet around to Data Mesh about someone coming in internally and, and asking her kind of, are you familiar with this? And it was like, oh, no, this has finally happened. Um, but, uh, you know, when we started talking about kind of what she's looking at, I think her focus is a lot around measuring what what they're actually doing with data, what's effective, the implementation value, you know, not just 
is this the right call to make now based on the information we have? But did we go down the right path? How can we learn? You know, how can we, we feed that back in? You know, should we stop something that we thought was going to be working and, and isn't and, and all of the, those fun things, which I think is super, super crucial when you think about data as a product, that products sometimes have to be shut down and that you have to evolve them and you have to think about that. So very excited for this. I think it's going to be useful for a lot of folks. Um, Katie, if you don't mind giving people a little bit of a background on yourself, then we can kind of jump into the topic at hand. Sure. Uh, and thanks for having me on. Um, I, I'm a data science manager at Twitter. I've been here a little over a year. Um, and prior to that, worked in all sorts of different roles. Um, and, and something that's always been interesting to me is how people actually decide, like, <laughs> are they are they successful? Is what they're doing um, achieving the value that they, they want to actually see in the world? Um, and it gets a bit meta as a, as a data scientist to be thinking a lot about internal tooling um, and, and about the value of data in particular. Uh, but it's a really interesting problem. It, it's one where um, whatever intuition I may have had having worked on a consumer product or maybe an ads product, um, in some ways it's very relevant. In some ways it kind of breaks down. Uh, and having the chance to, to think about that full time has been a really fun part of my current role. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it today. Is that fun or is that fun in quotation marks? Ah, uh, both. <laughs> it, de- it depends <laughs> on the day. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, and I think that um, when, when Sadie Martin had had her episode two, where it was like a lot of it was around um, we need data around what we're doing with data to measure if what we're doing with data is actually useful. And it's like, how do we not have that? That's not kind of the norm. Um, so, so I think that that's a good kind of jumping off point of, you know, this isn't something that a lot of people are, are really focused on or have really, I, I think, figured out how to, to really measure where, you know, where you're having success, what you're not, like, what are the criteria, all these different aspects on this question. So how have you started to, to think about this? You know, how have you started? I don't know. I'm assuming Twitter was probably doing some of this before you joined that you're not the first one to uh, bring this up as a, as a topic. But like, how have you found that aspect and, and bringing that more to data science, which data science is very much about, especially around experimentation and things like that. Like how do you value experimentation and how do you, how do you put value to uh, uh, attempting to create new insights where there wasn't necessarily a success or anything there? Yeah. I mean, measuring something like experimentation is kind of beyond the scope of, of where we even are. Um, A lot of what we're thinking about is pretty foundational, like uh, an interesting trap that people fall into, I think, uh, when it comes to measuring an internal product is getting, let's say, creative uh, about their their definition of value. Like you can start very basically and just think like, well, I believe this is valuable. Um, so people would be using it if it's valuable, right? Uh, so, so starting with very foundational questions, almost like the DAU of an internal product, like that's a fine place to start because even your assumptions about that might start falling down. Like there's, it's almost like a fallacy, I guess, that just because you've built something, people understand that it's valuable and that they they know how to use it. So taking some time to first consider who internally am I building this for? Like kind of getting a sense of what your total addressable market would be for an internal tool before you launch it. Um, whether whether that tool is like a piece of infrastructure, a library, a data set, um, it still applies. Like thinking, who is it for, and what can we do with it? Um, or rather, uh, <laughs> uh, rather, um, who is it for, and do they know about it, and are they actually using it? How frequently? Like that gets you pretty far, or surprisingly far, uh, given how how hard this typically seems to measure. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's an interesting good point of you don't have to get to uh, the most complicated of metric to figure out if what you're doing is having success. There, there, there are a lot of aspects of this where it's like, 
well, we want our people to be happy and we want them to use it. So if everybody's using it on a daily basis, but our net promoter score is is really, really bad, then it's they're having to use it and, and we're not successful in the actual user experience and or, or kind of vice versa, where it's it, it could be that people are not actively using it, but or not using it on a daily basis because it's so good that it automated away like their need to touch you know it over and over that they don't have to jump in. Right. I mean, like thinking about the difference between MAU and and DAU or weekly active users for an internal product. That that's a big aspect of it too. Um, you don't need something every single day, but that doesn't mean that it's not successful. Um, and and also to your point, the experience of like are they happy using it? Like that can be a very hard thing to measure. And it's, it's so lagging. Uh, You're not going to ask people every single day, like, were you happy using this? Or like, I don't know, people, you hear this as a critique for NPS a lot anyway, where like you ask someone like, would you recommend windows 10 uh, to a friend? The answer is probably no, (laughs) because they don't recommend operating systems. Um, like, like in addition to having some sort of experiential metric, you still do need some sort of behavioral information, uh, about an internal product to know whether it is achieving value, even if it's, it's not always pleasant to use. Yeah. And how do you think about looking this up and kind of chunking it up, whether it's, um, you know, within data mesh, if it's at like the, the data product level or the data platform level, like, how do you think about differentiating and, and how specific are you trying to get? Because again, that, that could be, especially if you're, if you're like thinking about usage of a new feature or something like that, you're not going to get a net promoter score of a new feature or, or if you are, you're going to be annoying your users. Cause it's going to be every time you click out of this window, you clicked out of this window. Uh, would, would you please give us a rating? On <laughs> right. So how, how do you think about that, that approach to, to chunking it up and, and, where it makes sense to to get super specific versus not. Yeah, I mean, the most uh, practical answer is going to be, do you have telemetry? Um, And whatever you have telemetry for is probably (laughs) the the first order concern. Um, But in terms of like an abstract ideal for how you would start chunking this up, probably a helpful mechanism for breaking down that problem is just what's the most useful unit of granularity that you would make a decision about, um, which which can be something that you start quite granular and compose into, like you, you start with individual data sets or tables in a data set, and then you compose those up into usage of a data set. But like overall, if your goal is just to figure out, are people using BigQuery or something, um, even just starting with the account of users using BigQuery is not a bad place to begin. I think I think that's a, a really interesting insight that I hadn't thought about of, are you making micro or macro decisions? And if you're making macro decisions, don't try to measure everything around the micro. But if you're making micro decisions, don't base all of your micro decisions like about you know, this table or this data set around these macro, you know, oh, people aren't really using this data set. So we're going to kill this data set. And when you find out that, you know, 98% of the people who are using it are using this single table. So the single table should survive. (laughs) But right. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really uh, interesting, like, I just hadn't thought of that specifically. I think it's, it's a, a very good insight. So like, how do you think about measuring this, this, like what, what specifically have you found that's, that's useful? You, you, you talked about the active users. I don't know if that's what you'd be thinking about on a data set perspective or, or things like that, but like how specifically have you found are some useful approaches that people might want to consider? Not necessarily, these are the five that you need to do, or this is the one that, that solves it all. But like, what, what have you found has been kind of useful when looking at those? Yeah, I guess two two common ways of thinking about internal tool usage. Uh, I, I work with a guy who talks about like different time scales on which you would measure something. Um, he he talks about micro, meso, and macro time scales. And depending on on what you're trying to fix or, or what you're trying to measure, um, you you approach it differently. 
for something micro, it's it's probably literal wall clock time. Like you start doing an action, you complete the action, or you you get to the next stage in some funnel. Like in that case, the actual amount of seconds is a pretty useful indicator of like, yeah, this is taking way too long. This is painful for people, um, or or something about this is complex. Uh, so for that, you you would want to measure, uh, focus on measuring the small thing. But as you get bigger and as you get more abstract, you care more a lot about like transitioning between phases of some sort of task that someone's doing. Like this is one way in which I think general product analytics applies pretty well uh, to an internal tool is that there's generally some ideal path that someone is trying to move through to do their job. And like whether they're satisfied with with the experience of doing that or not, if they're able to complete it, that's still an indication of some sort of value. And if you see that there's a phase on their path that they're continually dropping off, that drop off is significant. Like maybe there's something about that step that's hard or um, it's not well documented or it doesn't work for a particular segment of users. Like being able to just study the user funnel is is an interesting way to drill deeper into something once you've got kind of your baseline set of these are the active users and we know that we have this percentage of them engaged at the the right time horizon. And how do you think about measuring you talked about the addressable market? Like like is that something that where you go out and you do kind of the internal product marketing type of concept or because you can say, well, I think this could be applicable for every data scientist inside, you know, an organization like Twitter, I'm assuming has many, many, many data scientists. And so, you know, but then you find out that, well, this is really only applicable for these, this kind of segment. And we didn't know that ahead of time, but it's got, you know, 95% usage coverage on, you know, that it is crucial to their tasks and that they're happy with it. So it still is a success in that range. But our original expectation, it's only used by 20% of people because it's 20% of, of the, the user base is actually matching this. Right. I mean, this is, this is similar to general releasing a product, I suppose. Um, you've got a hypothesis of who this is for and what they'll like about it. Uh, and part of what makes this a a thing that is suitable for analytics is sometimes your hypothesis is wrong <laughs> and you need to be able to dig into it and figure out why. And the way that you approach that might be different for an internal product. Like it's probably a lot easier to talk to all of your coworkers than it would be to go interview customers of a large consumer product or a, a large ads product. But it's a similar process where you have an idea of who this is for. You figure out like we want them to use this new data set this frequently, or we, we think it will be useful at this level of frequency. And then if it turns out that we're wrong, we have to go back and figure out why. And how, when you find out that you may have been incorrect or that, that you're like, how, how quickly are you looking to make that shift? Because you know, sometimes things take a little bit of time to, to settle in the market. It's probably a little bit different internally, but like, how does that mean that you turn up the marketing engine or like, how, how do you think about that in such a, a different way so that you can make sure that, that you're actually, you spent time on creating this and maybe you're, you're, what you thought was going to happen is untrue, or maybe it just hasn't been true yet? Yeah, that's a good question. And like, I don't know if I have a general answer to it beyond, it kind of depends on what the expected value of a, of a data set or, or something is. Like if one of the reasons why you're trying to migrate something is that there's a regulatory reason, like you need to like migrate to this new data set that has some sort of private data scrubbed from it. Like, getting people to use the new one, like it doesn't really matter <laughs> like at, at what time horizon um, people want to move, like they need to do it and you have to force it to happen. Uh, whereas like maybe there would be something a bit more experimental internally where like, oh, we think this new format would be easier for people to use. Like that's kind of a different, different problem in terms of marketing or engagement. Like I suppose like having like a, a notion of like your beta testers for something that's a bit more 
hypothesis driven rather than being forced upon you uh, might might be a, a way to answer that question. Yeah, interesting. And, and we'd kind of talked about this a little bit um, in in kind of the pre-tape about how do we think about the individual versus the the where it fits within the macro when we think about you know a data set especially you think about the data set in in and of itself especially in data mesh it has value or it's supposed to have value but it also has a greater value in that it's interoperability between different things have you found that it's easy because you can still just kind of track where people are consuming from and so you can go eh, like we could figure that or or have you found it's it's a little bit more difficult or or thinking about like kind of downstream transformations and so are you attributing that value up to the upstream where there's this super super valuable table that's downstream of it but that it couldn't exist if it didn't have the upstream yeah that's a good question and we're i I would not say that we're at a level of sophistication where we have really (laughs) answered it uh or, or like had to dig into it uh super comprehensively but like what you're getting at i think a little bit is network effects um, or, or maybe even just like the compounding benefits of having things that build off of each other. Uh, like we, we've been trying to think in terms of graphs, in terms of like we have lots of different services that are interrelated uh, or, or if we're trying to migrate one old legacy technology to a new one, like the density of the graph of how the old thing is connected to lots of other things that, that impacts how easy a migration is. I could see that being a, a valuable way of measuring this uh, in the long term. Like there's some sort of, the more it's it's referenced, the more it's relied upon, um, the more valuable it is, or at least the more risky <laughs> it is for, for uh, something to go wrong with it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting point around that because we need to get to that point, but I don't think that anybody has figured out how to get there and that, um, or at least I haven't heard of any, maybe there is somebody who's like, oh, we've got it all figured out and, and we're doing that. But I think this is kind of the thing that that when I talk to people around data mesh, it's that everybody's so early days and everybody feels like we should be, you know, um, 50% further down the path than we are. And it's like, Oh, but if you actually, if you're benchmarking yourself against everyone else, you're way further down because you're even acknowledging that this is a challenge that you need to go down this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like this type of measurement is also, it's sort of like a champagne problem. Like it's, it's something that like, if you're even having this problem in the first place, you're probably in a pretty good situation where you've got a, a large and relatively robust technology org that needs to think very crucially about measuring itself as opposed to a scrappy startup that's just trying to get more users or more revenue. Have you found that it's something that the organization values or you, are you having to go out there and kind of preach that value and and preach that we need to set ourselves up so that we can measure that we can, um, you know, whether we want to call it a champagne problem or not, but that you want to say, Hey, we do need to do this so that we get better and better. And then like that thought of feeding that back into future decisions and things like that. But it sounds like it's, it's almost early enough days that it's like, well, we know we, we need to get there, but nobody's figured out how to <laughs> get there at all right now. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's something that's definitely valued, but it's right now it's like a little bit abstract. Uh, it's kind of like I've told people like, okay, well you need to go bake me a cake. Uh, if if you want me to come to your party, you need to bake me a cake. Um, and some people might know how to do that. Uh, but they, a lot of people don't, (laughs) they like, they aren't sure what the ingredients are. They don't know where to find a recipe. Um, and, the, the hard part is trying to figure out where they are and whether I do need to give them a recipe or I should give them a, a boxed cake mix that they can just crack an egg into and, and be good to go. Uh, there are lots of different ways to bake a cake and there's lots of different ways to do measurement. And depending on where you are in your journey, one of them may be more appropriate than the other. Yes, as somebody who... Uh you know, cannot bake anything for the, I, I don't know how following all the directions and it's still 
never works. Like I, I'm just I'm <laughs> amazed at that. And, um, but like, how, how do you start to have those conversations then around not just saying, well, how mature are you? Like, can I really trust you with this? Like you, you don't want, but like, we haven't really had great maturity um, rubrics around data, right? It's, it's like, are you, are, are you data mature or not? It's not something that everybody is pretty much immature with it, right? The more that we talk about reliability and scalability and agility and all this stuff, we just haven't gotten there. So like, how, how do you figure that out? Like, what, what, what have you found that's worked for you? Yeah. I mean, I guess my my main goal right now is to get people to a place where they see measurement as something that is operationally useful, like something that they can engage with every day. Uh, so I, I did kind of develop an internal framework of these are the stages you need to get through to be able to use data as a part of your day-to-day operations. And it's very basic. Uh, like the, the first here is, do you have data? <laughs> if not, you should probably get some. Uh, then beyond that, like, do you have metrics? Are they largely automated? Like, c- can you go run a query somewhere rather than having to go into some UI and manually count something and then plug it into a spreadsheet somewhere? Uh, and then the, the final stage is just, is this automated? Like, is it in a data pipeline? Is it in a report? Uh, and all of this is really kind of oriented around the idea that it shouldn't be work to have data available to you or to use it. Uh, And then once we actually get to that phase, (laughs) we can start asking maybe some more complicated questions about attribution to particular like product launches or or feature ships or something like that. Uh, But before we even have the baseline data or metrics, it's kind of hard to to ask very complicated questions. Yeah, I think that's... uh... That's the thing that I think surprises the most people is even in, in an organization as, as large and, and I would say as kind of forward leaning and, and um, you know, kind of all, all the positive attribute type of, of <laughs> phrases as Twitter or, you know, talking to other people at other large organizations from Netflix and, you know, Google and all, all these things you get kind of the same answers as to we're, we're still just kind of in those, like that the final stage of your rubric is, do you regularly have the data available versus like, okay, we're going to measure the specific ROI of doing this very specific thing. And that like, how, how are you, when you think about product management and you think about data as a product, part of that is kind of figuring out what you should be shutting down, what you should be shifting away from. So like, how are you finding when the investment wasn't good? Like, is there, is there something people can be looking out for when, when they, you know, and it's fine to have made a bad call or to have made a a bet that didn't pay off even like whatever, but like, is there something you find that that's helpful there? I mean, I, (laughs) I feel like that really depends on the culture of the company in general uh, like, are they a company that just values shipping? Are they a company that values using resources well? Do they celebrate when things are deprecated? Like, th- those are things that I think have a, a bigger impact uh, than than almost anything. Um, that is also like a, a situation where data becomes quite valuable because if the only success metric in a company, whether it's literally the success metric or it's an implicit success metric, if the only thing you care about is shipping something new, um, maintaining things, <laughs> even achieving uh, some sort of value or, or realizing that you were wrong uh, and changing your mind, it's it's going to be a hard sell uh, to, to use data in a culture like that if all you care about is building. It's, it's, it's frustrating that there isn't an objective value, but it makes perfect sense, right? Like, it just seems like that that's something that I, I keep getting hit in the face with where I'm like, but, but there's an answer, right? And it's like, no, it, it, <laughs> it's what's valuable to you, what's valuable to your organization and what's valued by your organization. What's valuable to your organization and what's valued by your organization doesn't necessarily line up. So if somebody is in that situation of what's valuable to your organization isn't aligned with what's valued by your organization, I mean, do you have any advice for somebody in that 
in that kind of realm or is it, is it leave <laughs> because <laughs> you can't change the culture all by yourself or? Yeah. I mean, in some cases it might be leaving, but I, I don't know that that's always a mature response. Like I think maybe the most rational way to, to deal with something like that is to focus on a smaller set of problems or, or make the problem smaller. Like something that I have found to be true when, you know, building a new team or standing up a, a data science practice in a new area is that you need to start with something concrete uh, so that people can see the value of what you're doing. And like people always hate making dashboards or <laughs> building reports or something, but that, that's something that's very tangible. It's something that people can go and look at and interact with and learn from. And like once they are bought into something like that, it becomes easier to sell them on the idea of, of an A-B test or something more complex. But until they have this baseline engagement with data as a source of information, it's going to be hard to to get them to care about something that's more complex. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think it is that, like, I, I kind of hate when people are like, dashboards are dead. And it's like, no, no, they're not. Like, that's, that's absolutely ridiculous. People really like them. <laughs> I mean, if you know what, what they say, they're very useful. It's a very useful, like, I, I built I, I worked, I was embedded in an SRE organization where I was managing their, their AWS costs and stuff. And I built a bunch of dashboards around if we saw cost spikes, it was like, I'm going to check the dashboard. And if, you know, there are 15 different things within this dashboard that are likely cost spikes. And so when there's an incident or when there's a whatever, like if you build your dashboards for, this isn't the thing that I'm going to look at on a daily basis because my my world changes, but like they they just provided an easy path to go, you know, and I started to build them even for incidents and stuff where I could point to and go, yeah, our latency around this thing spiked. And, the, and they're like, why is the AWS cost guy doing this? But, but it, it helped, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. It, it can be super useful, but I, I like that you're, you're coming from an empathy angle again of, the teaching side of, hey, to get that buy-in, you don't just say, I'm right. You say, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna kind of hold your hand, even if it's something that's a little bit frustrating or a, a somewhat pedantic to do, that you're still going to get them kind of bought in to this is something that, that we've got to do. So like, what, what are the, the conversations that you're having that, that are, that you find are useful around this concept of measuring value of what what's actually good and, and maybe like how can you leverage that into conversations to you know if you're a data science you're more on the cons- consumption side probably than you are on the providing side so how can you take that and, and kind of push it back into the consumer side mm. well i mean one conversation i've been finding myself have a lot recently is that when we're measuring things sometimes we're wrong about what we need to measure um like a, an error mode or a failure mode that I feel like I've seen is that someone tried to measure something once and the measurement was not sensitive. So it never moved or it just didn't tell them what they wanted to know. And instead of thinking like, Oh, this, this metric is something that I can iterate on. They just say, Oh, measurement is stupid. There's no point in doing this. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like it's interesting to me. Like people, people don't think of, metrics as a product. Like they don't think them of them as something that like has a purpose or a story or an audience or, or even something that can be improved. It's just a static thing. And metrics should be working for you, not vice versa. Uh, and trying to help people understand, like maybe through something very literal or, or tangible, like a dashboard has been very valuable uh, because suddenly it is helping them like have real practical hands-on experience with the value they get from, from trying to learn from this information. Yeah. And I think that iteration, it just, it, it seems to be the thing that comes up in almost every conversation of you're not going to necessarily get it right, right out of the gate. And that you've got to, you've got to communicate that with people so that they can understand, Hey, we are trying to figure out, we're trying to we're trying to be aligned. We're trying to do the things that, that move the needle. So let's work together to move that needle. And so, yeah, it's. Yeah. 
It's also something that I think data scientists can have have trouble with uh, emotionally, perhaps. Uh, a lot of a lot of data scientists um, will have some sort of academic training uh, where they are used to trying to come up with an airtight, perfect answer uh, before they share. Uh, they're not used to doing sort of like a, a minimum viable insight or minimum viable analysis. Um, so, like data scientists feed into this problem too. I don't want to say that we're <laughs> we're blameless in the problem of people getting frustrated with measurements that are meant to be like the end all be all. Like we put too much pressure, I think, sometimes on what we put out uh, as data scientists or people who, I guess, are on the the consumption side. Um, We can be wrong (laughs) and it's fine as long as we notice it fast enough that we can change. Yeah, that, that, again, that iteration, that fast evolution. Um, So when you are going to your data sources, right, like you're, you're talking about what's the value of a data set or a data implementation or things like that. How do you start to have that conversation of, well, if you gave us actually decent quality, <laughs> if, if you did that, um, or if you provided this value, this data, we think it would generate this value. When, when it is such a squishy thing of, hey, here's what we would use it for, but like we don't know if what we're going to use it for is going to be is going to prove out to be a value. So it's valuable to us that you are producing it. And then we don't know if that's going to produce the value that we think it will for the company. Like ah, that, that question or that conversation has just been such a one that, that I just can't like even fathom how I would, how I would approach it. Yeah. I mean, in our case, a lot of times we defer to the domain expert of, of whatever this internal product or tool is like, what do they want to measure? Um, that's what we're doing. And then our role in that process is to help them actually figure out how to formalize the metric and to think about how it will be used. Like if you define it in a particular way, what are the pitfalls of trying to operationalize around that? We're not necessarily going in trying to tell people like, this is how you do this because we don't necessarily know better than them, but we can help them in the process. And it's worked okay uh, so far. It's definitely helped us get some data that we did not have otherwise. How much of that are you doing that's bespoke versus kind of sensible defaults versus standardized? Uh, what do you What do you mean by that? So when you're thinking about like metrics around pretty much anything, there's kind of, you know, if, if you're thinking about like data quality metrics or something like that, um, there's, you know, timeliness, there's accuracy, mm-hmm. there's all these different things. But it may be that there's specific things that are really uh, necessary for a specific um, use case. So, like, are you going to them and saying, "Hey, here we've got kind of standardized ways that we look at what we're consuming," or are you asking the governance team kind of to to build that out so that there there are standards, if not you know enforced standardization, or like because if everything is bespoke, if if everything you're consuming has completely different set of metrics around that, it becomes pretty unwieldy and unmanageable because you have to learn a new language for every single thing that you're dealing with. Right. I mean, where there is prior art, we try to take advantage of it. Um, in some cases, that means we have to adapt something else to to a more specific context. But definitely, there's there's a lot of effort to not reinvent the wheel as much as possible. And then in situations where we do need to create something new, it's it's really more about uh, tying it to practical things that users of these tools would, would do, um, trying to figure out what existing user journeys are there and what data is missing uh, to attach to that. And we, we talked as well about the idea of, around kind of serendipity and inspiration, which is kind of crucial for data science, right? That you're trying to find these insights that maybe wouldn't have been there, especially, you know, I, I think, correct correct me if you're wrong, but, but you're more on that experimentation side than you are on kind of the ML uh, specific modeling side. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely more inference than prediction. Yeah. So like, you can't, pre-plan for that serendipity or, or inspiration. So how, uh, again, I'm just trying to figure out like 
there are so many people that are having this this challenge of going to data producers and saying, hey, we really need this data or we'd really like this data. And we think that it could be X or Y or Z of value. But like having that conversation with them, is is it about informing them what you would like to do with it? And then they're like, okay, I'm more bought in or I know it's different in every organization, but like just everybody's really struggling with trying to get data producers to actually produce with quality and reliability and scalability and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you mentioned uh, taking an empathetic approach earlier, and that seems to work pretty well. Um, If you want new data and it costs them time, whether it's by like letting some other project slip or having to to schedule something in the future, um, it's diverting away from their normal activities. So if they're going to do that, what's in it for them? Like trying to explicitly partner with people to achieve some sort of like, we'll help you figure this thing out. Or like, if this is a question you have, like, we're going to help you dig into it and get to the bottom of it as much as we can. That's been the most effective way for us, at least in terms of getting additional data that we, we don't have yet. Are you doing that via actually like, you know, in the financial services space, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at how much it's just like, yeah, we've got the budget and we're going to literally take from our budget and spend it on you on your time. And so we're going to pay you for this in an actual literal like transfer of money type way. But I don't think that that's the way most organizations work. So like, what, what are you finding that's the, that are the levers that's, that's what's in it for them? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a fair question. I mean, it's kind of abstract, um, but the way I think about it is that you're building trust with people and trust is kind of the currency that you accrue or spend. Um, and by doing things that are very visible, like creating a dashboard or helping them do an analysis on some pressing question, you're putting trust in the bank. And then later, uh, because you've done something that makes you seem like you actually have their best interest at heart, they're more likely to return the favor. And sometimes trust just comes from being visible uh, in, in their everyday processes or their their team channels or, or what have you. Um, but like, like showing that you are invested in what they're doing, that you care about the outcomes, that goes a long way. It's interesting because I feel like that, that type of thing comes up every time. But, <laughs> but it's it, of the people who are being successful around data mesh, right? Like the people who who are having success are having those high empathy, high context exchange type of things and, and that it's it's that team attitude. But if you're not in an organization that has that real team attitude approach, it, it becomes a, a, a much, much bigger roadblock to even if you do all the things right, you've got such a, a more difficult momentum to, you know, or a difficult... Uh, road to kind of go down from, from that, that standpoint. I don't know. Do you have any advice that you'd give to those folks other than uh, find a, a shoulder to, to lean on a little bit and, and kind of <laughs> a place to vent? Um, I mean, I think probably the most helpful thing is just to remember, like, they don't need <laughs> to measure anything technically. Uh, they'll, they'll be better if they do measure things. Um, but the, the most helpful thing you can do for them is just provide them with something that they actually find useful. And maybe that's a little ego defeating as a, a data scientist who's used to coming up with answers and, and trying to figure out the truth. But knowing that lots of people play a role in that, um, I don't know. I, I find that a helpful thing to remind myself of. And like, Thinking about like a specific example of that, would that be that they're not providing like the the answer as to anything, but it's like, hey, we we saw this little anomaly in the data and, and we thought that we'd investigate it with you or, hey, you know, here was an insight that I found from uh, working with another team and that we think might be applicable to yours as well. Or it, like what what have you found are those like little um, beneficial things of, of kind of those those positive communication factors instead of just give, give us the data we want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a bit of column A, a bit of column B. Uh, sometimes there's a like someone asks for your help on something and actually taking it seriously, actually 
if you need to uh, spend like a little extra time diverted from whatever you were normally going to do to help them figure out the answer to a question they have that can help. Um, sometimes it, treating it as sort of like a surprise and delight opportunity where they didn't know <laughs> there was data to answer uh, a question about their system, like that kind of thing can, can go a long way too, in terms of just letting them know, like you can use data for this and we want to help you do it. Um, it might have them come back with more interesting and better questions over time. That's the, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking of the domains as kind of the masters of their domain kind of thing, <laughs> but sure. it's, it's useful to think about that there are places where they're, they're not necessarily like everybody's got their gaps and everybody's got their, um, their, uh, places where they they just don't have experience or they've got blind spots or, or things like that. Yeah. Another interesting thing about like building a platform is sometimes people build things that you don't expect. And sometimes you can find that with data and being able to tell them like, Oh wow, this person came up with this entirely new use case. That's something that Maybe they'll, maybe they won't like it, but usually people are surprised and delighted by that kind of thing. Well, I, I think, I mean, Twitter basically, if, if I remember the story right, it spun out of that. If it was like a, a, a messaging platform for people in the trucking space. And then they found that people really just kind of liked even just the communication aspect of, of the short form communication that it was kind of fun for that. And so then they started to go, well, maybe we should look at this. And then, you know, I don't, I don't think they're in the, uh, the trucking communication business as much anymore. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you've got something that's going on over there that I don't know about, but. Yeah. Top secret. Can't, can't speak about it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've talked about a lot of different angles on this and, and I do think that, that people again are going to, when they come into thinking about measuring the value of data, it is very much of, okay, but if we're talking about data and we're talking about getting data around data, we're going to have very solid numbers and we're going to have very solid answers and, and things like that. It sounds like from everything we've talked about, it's it's a lot more squishy than, than probably people wish and will assume it is. Is that, I mean, is one, am I, am I summing it up correctly? But two, like, how would you explain it to somebody that isn't as familiar? Like if somebody is, is thinking about deploying this type of um, program or whatever internally at their, their company around, let's, let's get to our, uh, a real measurement of what we're doing around data and the, the value of, of what we're doing. Like, how would you begin that? Or how would you recommend they begin that conversation internally? Yeah, I guess the the thing I would say about like, wow, it seems kind of squishy. Um, the pers- like the the point is not necessarily always precision as much as it is for it to be a tool of self evaluation. Um, so like over time, you probably will refine your ideas of what you need to measure. Maybe you can even get very precise. But to start, uh, what you really need is an objective external mechanism for helping yourself understand, are we moving in the direction we think we need to be moving? Um, And data is one way of externalizing that. So even if it's not 100% capturing everything, that's not necessarily a sign of failure. You you have to think about what you're doing, improve and iterate over time. uh, And that applies to both (laughs) iterating and improving over your measurement. Yeah, I think that's really, really, again, it's, it's not getting too far ahead of yourself. It's not, it's not trying to be like, okay, there is an answer versus this gives us far more information to make an informed decision, right? Like data informed isn't that the data tells you it's like, I hate data driven decisions because that, that concept is that the data makes the answer or the data gives you the exact answer of what to do versus the more data you have that's correct and, and useful, the more informed you can make your decisions around that. And, and you still can make incorrect decisions or whatever, but it's not that, that there is a specific thing that says, okay, this is just like math of, you know, two plus two equals four. No, you know, it's not that way of, of thinking about this. And so I think it's, it's a really, 
it, it still feels a little bit like a kick in the gut sometimes to be like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe not squishy is not the right answer, but like, or the right wording, but like, that there's so that's much. just some discomfort with ambiguity. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's, again, another pithy way of putting it. <laughs> I, just, I struggled at it for, for about two minutes and then you, you, you summed yeah. it up six, in six words or so. Um, yeah, no. So if you were to think about kind of everything that we're, we've talked about today, because we've talked about a whole lot of different things around this, we've, we've, we've poked at it from a whole lot of different angles. Like if you were to, to kind of talk to somebody about the summing up of, of what we discussed and this topic in general of how do you measure the, the return or the value or, or how well you're doing with data and that, like, is there something that you would kind of recommend people or do you have like a rubric that you've posted somewhere or do you have kind of your bullet points that, that you, you talk about to people when you're, you're kind of introducing them to the subject? Yeah, um, I guess like maybe maybe I should post my framework one day. <laughs> um, but I would say probably the the most important thing to think about when you're just getting started with measuring something is measurement should not be hard uh, because if it's something that's hard for you to do consistently, you probably will not make the effort to do it. Uh, and it should give you information that helps you decide what to do next. So as much as possible, have your measurement be automated or at least passively done and then stick to things that are actionable uh, because if it's useful, you'll use it. That's yeah. And, and not just, is this interesting, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> there's lots of interesting things. I, and I have that, that issue when, when I'm playing around with data is that I'm, I see it and I go, Hey, this was an interesting insight. Does this, does this drive anything for, somebody else and they're like, oh no, and it's like, okay, well then we won't keep collecting it. But I mean, I guess that's kind of a lot of what your team is doing of like, hey, we found this insight, is this actionable? Like, and so thinking about what would be actionable and set yourself up to measure those things that would be actionable and not just the things that are interesting. So if that daily active user isn't interesting, then don't set yourself up to measure it. If it's not gonna change your decision around anything, but if you if you talk about like okay what percent coverage of our pipelines are in our platform versus you know kind of one off non automated things that's probably a much better more useful thing if that's what you're trying to aim for so set yourself up to aim or to, to measure what what matters that's yeah if you don't know what you're going to do with a measurement I mean, maybe it'll be useful eventually, but you probably shouldn't focus on it first. And this kind of is the same thing with like the data swamp and just like, oh, well, we've got all this data and, and you know, telling people to throw out their data and they're like, what if it's useful? And it's like, you don't even know what it is. It's, it's you yeah. know, data from five years ago. Yeah, it might be useful, but it's not even in a format that that is and nobody knows really what it means. And, uh, you know, you said, you said a lot of things that I think once you say them, they feel like, Oh yeah, that's kind of obvious. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it takes a while to <laughs> to come to these realizations. Exactly. Usually through through error on the part of the data scientist. So, so I think you've uh, accelerated a lot of uh, people just getting to a place where they're comfortable with the ambiguity and and things like that. So, uh, this, this has been super helpful for me too. Like, I, I just keep thinking, I keep pausing and being like, ah, oh, but that. You just kind of blew my mind because it's just like, <laughs> it's like very simple thinking about it, like a simple approach, but it's not simplistic thinking. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's. Yeah. I mean, thank you. That's a very nice thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah. Uh, so um, is there anything uh, that we didn't cover that you think we should, or is there, um, if not, then you know, where do you want people kind of reaching out to you about or where do you want them reaching out to you and what do you want them reaching out to you about? Or Sure. Um, if people want to reach out to me, Twitter is a pretty good place. My handle is I might be Mary. Um, it's up to you to figure out why that is. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about measurement. I'm happy to talk about data science careers, about, about people management. There's a lot of stuff that I'm interested in in the data world. Uh, but uh in general, my my advice to anyone who's thinking about measuring something is measure things that you would do 
<laughs> you would do something if you knew the answer to the question. That's yeah. <laughs> It's just such a, a tight framing of it. I love it. So, well, again, uh, Katie, this has been so awesome. And I think this will be very, very helpful for a lot of folks. So I really appreciate it. And so thank you for the time. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Katie Bauer, who's a data science manager in the core technology group at Twitter. If you'd like to get in touch with Katie, you can find her contact information in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card, don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.